Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Kumar Vijendra, author, speaker, and entrepreneur. Kumar is a thought leader in small business transformation with 17 years of experience in transforming the operations of diverse organizations around the world. He is the author of The Sustainable Entrepreneur, How to Build a Profitable Business and Save the Planet, and has published articles in multiple trade journals, including the CEO World, All Business, and other global research publications. He speaks at business organizations and conferences related to small business transformation and sustainable operations management. Kumar is an invited member of the Forbes Business Council and Beta Gamma Sigma Honor Society. Kumar serves as the president of Footsteps LLC, a last-mile delivery company in the Bay Area, California. He also sits on the board of directors of the Hollister Downtown Business Association and the Community Food Bank of San Benito County. Kumar is a frequent peer judge by industry organizations dedicated to management and business innovations, such as the Stevie Awards, Globy Business Innovation Awards, Disruptor Awards, Titan Awards, among others. Kumar holds an MBA from the University of Pittsburgh with a concentration in sustainability and operations. He has certifications as a Six Sigma Greenbelt, a certified Scrum Master, and is also a professional executive coach. Good morning, Kumar, and welcome to Conflict Managed. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for having me here. I'm very delighted to talk with you today and learn about your work in sustainability with small businesses and, of course, talking about leadership and conflict as well. Perfect. Yeah, that is a great conversation for all of us. All of us are learning as, you know, as we are working through it, it will be a great conversation. Absolutely. So will you tell us about the first job you ever had as a young man? It was long ago, uh, 2005, (laughs) right after I finished my master's. I started my first entrepreneurial venture. It was back then in India. India had brought out large tax reforms, national level that year. And I saw a gap that while big businesses had their whole team of corporate secretaries and CPAs and, you know, whatnot, small businesses struggled because usually they did not have. And that's the gap I tried to fill by starting a one-stop financial and tax consultancy firm, which provided with my clients everything they needed in terms of the right from the bookkeeping to the legal documentation required with the government and everything else. So uh, my first job was essentially my first entrepreneurial venture. Well, that is so interesting. A lot of times people think, oh, I want to start in a big firm or I want to work for this person, but you wanted to work for yourself. Have you always had that entrepreneurial spirit? Yes, I have I've always had that. You know, all of us are doing great things given, you know, in all our jobs, but somehow I rank entrepreneurship as, you know, kind of as, as better than every, everything else. And, you know, no disrespect to anyone else, but that's how I feel it. I've always admired entrepreneurs and I never wanted to be one because I liked the safety of an organization and most of my adult life has been in the education world. But a couple of years ago, I struck out on my own and started my own business. And and now I I kind of understand why people love it so much. But I do think it's very interesting when you find people from a, a young age who that's their calling. That's what they see that they want to do. It's so creative and brave to me. And, uh, you know, I I also hobnobbed as an employee for a little while. I not, not for a little while, a few years. So right after my first entrepreneurial venture, I was doing it again. You know, uh, it has to have a, a cultural, geographical context. I was back there in India 
and uh, government services, the civil services is very coveted there, back, back there, again, because of our old British rule and legacy. So I also had that seething aspiration to get all kind of, you know, be able to make a difference at a much larger scale and authority and all that. So I, I then, after my first entrepreneurial venture for a little, for a few years, I went ahead and started working with the government again back there in India, starting off as an assistant county administrator and then moving to chief of staff of a cabinet minister and managing a, a state level consulting organization. But then I'm back to what I loved, which is entrepreneurship. So. <laughs> Well, it seems like you have the best of both worlds because the adage is think globally, act locally. And so you've you've had your foot in both worlds. So tell us about what you're doing right now in the business that you run. I have a, I have a couple of things which I own. So my main business is my main bread and butter. My main business is last mile delivery company where uh, we partner with Amazon to help deliver the packages which you and I order. I also have a pre-employment drug testing company on the side, which was more of a vertical integration. This is what kind of, you know, takes care of the, of the bread and butter. What I'm really passionate about and, you know, more of a passion project is I know that there are a few messages in within me, which I want to go ahead and share with the whole world. And that is what led me, inspired me to write my first book which uh, did great on Amazon. People loved it. it. It hit the international bestsellers in a couple of weeks. I wrote the book. I keep on talking about that. Podcasts as yourself. And, you know, so spreading that message is something which is really critical to me. So all of these things going together at the same time. Well, tell us about your book. So the book is mainly focused on small business owners. All of us as individuals, as organizations, we keep on listening a lot about, you know, the word sustainability is thrown around a lot. And I want to go ahead and I wanted to go ahead and simplify that for small business owners. Because small business owners, and, you know, I'm, I'm in that space, we usually are pretty, you know, uh, we are strapped on time, strapped on money, yeah, and, and strapped in terms of the resources, the technology, strapped in, in all these dimensions. But despite that, we make it work. I wanted this book is from one small business owner to others out in the world, letting people know why as small business owners, we need to embrace sustainability and how to do that. How to do that in a way that your business is profitable along with you doing that. A lot of my research, I found that actually embracing sustainability as the core of the business strategy will make even business sense, you know, like profit, profit wise and growth wise business sense compared to not doing it. That's what the book is about. I love that. And many of the things that you've said, because so many times that we, as you said, we hear the word sustainability and we think it's somebody else's job. It's the big corporations. But what am I as an individual or as a small business supposed to do about it, right? This huge, <laughs> huge problems. We can pick, which problem uh, do we want to pick when it comes to ecological issues? And we can feel powerless or my little business doesn't really make a difference. But I love that you're also putting that, um, that ROI on it, that it makes financial sense. And I think the same thing about conflict. I think when you deal with conflict early, often quickly, justly, when you have organ organizational systems in place, 
you make money. So not only is it the right thing to do to practice sustainability practices, to put into systems to treat people well, it makes good business sense. Yeah. And I totally agree with you. In fact, you know, when I talk about sustainability, I've taken a very holistic perspective, a very holistic approach of that. So there is a framework which I have talked about in the book, which is an existing framework. They're called the four P's. And you will relate to that given your expertise and your podcast. The first of those four P's is people. The second is planet and then uh, purpose and then profit. Purpose meaning is your business aligned with who you really are. And as far as this uh, podcast goes, purpose and people are very directly related to leadership, conflict management, and all of these aspects, which can either, you know, more your business or make it into something huge. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about how people and purpose and profit align with planet, taking care of the planet. Sure. So, you know, uh, thank you for this question. I was talking about weaving sustainability in uh, the core of your business strategy. As you said, you know, some businesses, they think that, okay, you know, if I'm having just if I'm just uh, kind of, you know, dividing my trash in the recycle and the others, that's being sustainable. What I'm saying and what I found out that this is just the first step. This is just scratching the surface. If you actually embrace it as the core of your strategy, that's where the magic happens. And now uh, to answer your question, how will you embrace it at the core? You got to, sustainability got to be aligned with your purpose. You talk to any individual business owner or non-business owner, all of us have the shared vision that we want to leave the planet a better place than we got. So that's where the purpose piece comes in. So if you are aligned with that purpose, then you go ahead and bring that on. People, you cannot have an organization where your people think or believe or know. My company doesn't care about me. My company doesn't care about anything other than just the, you know, just their dollar bottom line in their balance sheet. So involving people and involving them in the whole aspect of sustainability was magical. But I found out that organizations where when your customers or when your employees, when they know that my employer and this business, they care about, they care about us and they care about something much more than their just, just their bottom line their whole perspective to the work changes. You know, you and I, both of us have been employees at some points of time in our lives. Would you want to go ahead and work for an organization which doesn't care about anything or you or someone which cares about you and the planet? Then comes the whole planet piece. And then the planet piece is the most critical aspect of sustainability, which I'm addressing mainly through bringing in operational excellence. So embracing it at every single step, embracing the evaluating the planet impact at every single step. Operational excellence, again, will not be possible without involving people in. If people think that, hey, you know what, my boss just wants me to get this done, maybe, you know, not take my breaks, not take 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 care of myself, versus all of us are together working for a much bigger vision. And that's why we are trying to save that little money here and save that little cost here and save that wastage here, wasted some other place. 
So that's how all of these four P's are aligned. And when they are aligned with the, with, with the overarching objective of sustainability, of may, leaving the planet a better place than you and I received, that's how all of them come together. Oh, I love that. I love that vision because when we think about having a workplace where people are flourishing, it means really noticing and caring for the individuals, involving them in decision-making. And it's doing away with this top-down approach because the top-down approach, I think, really treats workers, everyday workers, like children. And then the bosses are, I don't know, the bosses, the man. And sustainability and best practices takes everybody. It it says, I trust you. I see you that you know your job and it helps us to be creative. I think by nature, we are creative, whether creativity takes many different forms. But that, I think, is part and parcel of the human condition is tapping into that creativity, tapping into what I see and what I care about. And so if you're working at this part of the organization, well, what do you see? What do you think will improve things given our mission, given our goal of sustainability? What do you think? Can we implement that? And then having conversations and collaborating with others to see what our big ideas are and how far we can get. But if we never have those conversations, if we first, if we don't have the vision, right, right. then we're not going to get there. If we don't trust and speak into our employees, if we don't give them, you know, really bring them into the conversation, because as you said, when it's top down, people quote unquote might recycle because it's just, they're going through, you know, what it is they need to do. But it's that, I really like that, that magic, as you said, that, that going to the next level, when you involve people, then it's their project, not just for the shareholders, but it's for them and for everyone. Right. You know what, you mentioned two really important things here, two really important things, which I talk about, I live and, you know, I try to better myself living it every single day. One of them is vision. It is the most important thing that needs to be created in the organization. Vision and values. So in vision, what exactly are we driving towards? In many organizations, you know, I have worked in an organization without taking any names, a big corporate. They had their walls painted really beautifully with their vision and their values. And I was really impressed when I was interning there, when I went there for my first day. And I started chatting as I was, you know, as weeks passed, I started talking to people in the organization and they are like, I asked them this question. What do you think about the vision? What do you think about the values? They were like, uh, don't bother about that. They're like just writing on the wall kind of, you know, that, that sort of kills it. So A, creating that vision and B, more important than that, making it alive, as you said, by inspiring, enrolling our people in that. Essentially, first step, it has to begin by involving people in the process of creating those vision and value documents and people who joined later, incorporating all of that right from the job description up until every other stage so that people are aligned with that. That is the most critical key in any organization. And then, you mentioned another dimension, which I like to use the word ownership for. And, you know, that's that's my uh, leadership style. So I have people and, you know, 
especially my management team, I would go ahead and draft the position document and all of that stuff. One of the critical things there is that I tell them, I want you to own this aspect of the job. Now, if you own it, you are the one who's responsible. You are the one who is, who is the boss here. You're the one who is calling the shots here. That leads, to, there is a possibility that you'll make some mistakes and that is okay because that's how you will make it better. And I'm telling you this aspect, you know, this, this policy, it has, it has done wonders. Once people start owning it, once they know that, you know, they overcome their fear of failure, they end up making it much better than it had begun. Much, much better. You know, a lot of people, when they are looking at organizations, they want to know about advancement. And there's a lot of different ways to get real for of different possibilities. And that's a wonderful way for someone to stretch themselves, to be invested in, to look at different possibilities, a place for them to make a place that maybe wasn't before because of their work and their insight and what they bring to the table. So I love that. It seems to fit so nicely when we think about belonging and caring and being seen. But as you were speaking, I had this, this vision in my mind of like a garden and a garden, you know, you have to cultivate it, you plant it out, you plant the seeds and you have to water it, right? You have to tend to it. And if it's not continually tended, it will wither and die, right? That's, that's the way of things that grow. And organizations are much the same. How you tend, who's caring for it, how large you want your plot to be, what what you're putting in there, and the weeds that pop up, what are you going to do about that? Because you can have the best organization and you will, as you said, have mistakes. There will be people at different times that are maybe going in a different direction or you have conflict. Conflict is normal. We should expect it. It's just going to happen. It's very normal. And if we talk about unmanaged conflict as those weeds, what is our plan? Since every garden has weeds, it's just inevitable. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do about it? To respond to your question, I'm looking through you know, what we do on a day-to-day basis. There is one thing which I want to share here. In any conflict, one really important thing is distinguishing the people versus the performance. So, and I've made that mistake multiple times. And whenever I do that, I realize and catch myself and then correct myself again. If person A did not meet their, you know, kind of their expectations, their goals, their targets, or they messed up on something, you know, when when we are having that meeting to, you know, to take care of the weeds, it is really important to distinguish the people versus the performance. So a right way, a better way to have a conversation is, hey, this is what you had said you wanted to, to get to. This is where we are. You tell me what's going wrong and let's go ahead and try to figure it out rather than putting the blame game. And this is something which I train my managers on when you are coaching your you know people who report to you. It is really important that you distinct, you respect the person as much. The, the person is right. The person is correct. The person wants to do a great job his performance or her performance is not up to the mark in that week, in that month or whatever pre-duration that is. So distinguishing the people versus performance, it gives people the basic respect of being treated like a human. Then it is easy. If you tell me I'm wrong, there is nothing I can do about that. If you tell me what I did last week was not okay, I can fix that. Right. That's where the people versus performance comes in. I think that's so important because I think as managers and leaders, 
a lot of times we don't have those conversations because we think, well, I can't change that person. And the answer is, yeah, it's not your job to change a person. But if we're very clear about performance and outcomes and the way that you talked about it was so much as a partnership, tell me what's going on. This is, this is what the outcome was supposed to be. This is what happened. What What's going on? What do you need? What is your plan? And again, that really treats people as adults, as with the ability to correct ship, to, to find another way instead of being called in the quote unquote principal's office. And now they're being treated like a child, but rather partnering with them. And I really love that as well, because not every role or every organization is for everybody. Right. Right. And there is a place for everyone. I think multiple places, and it may not be in your organization at this time. And so the more we partner with people, we can see we're not aligning. And so for everyone's health, the healthy organization, the health of the individuals, then we part ways if we're having those clear conversations and we have clear sets of expectations. And you know what? I totally agree with you on this. In my last mile delivery business, that job is physically very demanding. You know, you're delivering 250, 300 packages. You are stopping at 200 locations, getting in and out of your van. So that job is physically demanding. And it, it happens. What you described happens quite often that despite all of these benchmarks, despite making everything clear, there are people who think that they would be able to do it. But once they start doing it, it's not the right fit. Again, you know, with the with this uh, with this metric, with this principle of people versus performance, as in distinguishing the people and the performance, I I pride myself on the fact that even when I have to let go of people, we shake hands, and you know, we totally come to the decision that hey, this is not working at this point of time in your life and the way we are in the business. Maybe something else opens up tomorrow, and you know, it it can be the better fit. So we can still shake hands and, you know, of course, someone is losing the job and writing their final check. But despite that, we can still shake hands. I don't want to spoil even one human relationship I have. This world is small. You never know what's going to come back and how. You never, ever know that. That is so true. And I always think about organizations as, I mean, I obviously believe, as you have pointed out, people first, right? Organizations come and go. Power is temporary but how we treat our fellow human, that's who we are. That's when we go to bed at night, the life that we live has to do with the quality of our relationships and how well we treated that other person. Independent of their actions, people have bad days, they make bad decisions. That is just a part of life. And I think leading with those values, I'm very interested in employee-centric values. A lot of times we talk about external values, how we're treating the community or our shareholders or whoever it is that uh, that is coming to our facility or are using our product or services. I, Since I deal with workplace conflict, I'm interested in employee value propositions. How can uh, you expect to be treated when you come here? And how can we expect you to treat others? And I really think this sustainability project, I think is a wonderful practical because sustainability is in every day. As you said, it's in every decision, but just like our values are, they're they're not just written on a wall that does us no good if they're not lived in the every single day in every action and interaction we have with our fellow colleagues. That's right. You know what? I was working with my business coach to draft the values for my organization. 
And I made a draft and then I took it to my managerial team and then we discussed and we simplified it and we redid some explanations. So, you know, I have five values of my organization and this is just my organization, but I'm sharing this from the perspective of, you know, employee centric values. The first is, of course, of course, ownership, because, you know, that's I we already spoke about that. Are you owning the outcome of your actions? And again, as we spoke about, if something went wrong, then, you know, in my meetings, if I get a report that something went wrong, I send it to my management team. I ask them, hey, this is what went wrong. Please go ahead and deep dive the data to find out what exactly went wrong underneath this report. What's your plan of action to make sure that this doesn't happen again? This again, reestablishes their sense of ownership. Mm. The second is honor. And honor to me and to our team is about if I said something, if I said that I'll do something, if I said that I'll abide by some values, I'll abide by some behavioral standards, some performance standards, can I be trusted for that? Hmm. The third is courage. And courage, again, courage is the space how you handle failure. Courage is the space, yes, I have challenges. Am I bigger than that? Courage is to catch yourself and, and you know stand up again after you tumbled once. So courage is all of that. And of course, then the external, which is wowing the customer with the with the service. You know, So in the explanation we've written, if you were the customer, would you say a wow after that service? If you were the customer, again, it isn't you. you know. Right. And then uh, last something, which is very important for us as an organization is creating the world you want to live in. And, you know, as, as an expression of this, we go ahead and we give back in multiple ways to our community, the community in which we are working. But it is, it starts with small things as giving respect to someone to actually making, you know, contributions, physical and other and financial and others to, to, to make the world, to create the world that we want to live in. Oh, I like those very much. And Again, if we get away from just having a vision and having values to how we live those, it's very important that everybody is clear. And it sounds like you're very clear as to not just what the words are, but what they mean and how they are lived out practically. I'm very interested in the practical application of the social and moral virtues because that's how we become. We become by doing. And every place that we are, they're telling us what our expectations are. And as you mentioned, that one place that you worked, the expectation was you don't have to do that. You don't have to follow these values. And the culture is not what is written in the law books or on the wall. It's the culture is always lived and breathed and it's changeable. And that's why it has to be carefully and intentionally curated or it will go south easy because it's it's hard to be good. It's easy to to be lazy in our interactions and I mean that lazy because it is lazy to not acknowledge somebody else. It is a kind of lazy and self-indulgence to think everything revolves around me. And mm -hmm. that's how we get a culture, a, you know, a, a difficult culture, a toxic culture, a culture where we have unmanaged conflicts. To give an example and to put it in, in context of the way we do it, there can be nothing more worse than someone saying something and not living that. That's what leads to toxicity. You know, uh, I'm a father. I have a seven-year-old. And my seven-year-old girl is, and you know, that's how kids are. They're honest and true and genuine. 
So if there is something, if the, for example, I tell her to go to bed early to get, you know, to get a proper sleep so that she's well rested. And if I am waking up late, she's the first one to point it out to me that, hey, dad, you tell me that, you know, it's really important for your mental health, for your physical health to have a good night's sleep. Why are you not going to bed on time? So, you know, this is just one example from, a, from my personal life, but taken on a corporate scale, a business scale. If my organization sees that I am not living up to the values said and unsaid expectations that I've said, that's that's the worst that can happen. Yeah. You lose immediate respect, then people start working for it. Then it becomes very transactional because yeah. that's something which you set up, not in what you said, but in what you did. And what you did, you know, there is this beautiful sentence. Someone said that, to, you know, explained that to me once. It says, the unsaid is so loud that I can't hear what you're saying. Oh, that is so true. Well, I do talk to a lot of people who are in circumstances where where they're not the boss and they're in these toxic environments. And there's a lot that the individual can do because I believe that conflict resolution and first and foremost is about personal empowerment, self-reflection, and then you can decide what to do. We don't have to be stuck. Being stuck is, is a choice. That being said, if we want a healthy work environment, it is about the leadership. If the leadership doesn't practice it, if the leadership doesn't have a dose of humility, if leadership will not be self-reflective, because <laughs> as you know, if you're a leader, you probably read a lot and it consume all the stuff and you can say it, but doing it is another thing. And it's about a way of habituating yourself. And if you don't do it, you won't get it. You won't get that psychological safety. You will not get people telling you what's really going on. That crucial information you need as the leader to make the best kinds of decisions in cooperation with others. But you get backbiting, you get gossip. Gossip is a sure sign that there's a problem with leadership. Yeah. Something has gone wrong. People are not feeling heard. There is this acceptability of backstabbing or whatever it may be. These There are all these symptoms that there's something wrong, something needs to change. And it's usually the leadership is something's going on up there. And, and by and large, certainly middle management, we do a poor job as a society of really coming alongside them. And so I don't like blaming anyone. Blaming doesn't help. But if we're trying to diagnose the problem, leaders need continual coaching, developing, mentoring, so that they can be the best. And again, you know, I I totally agree with you. Leadership, you know, you mentioned the word self-reflection. When you are in the position of, you know, like, like the owner of an organization or the CEO or the president, your weaknesses and your strengths, they get 100x as, you know, as, as people perceive it. I'll share with you something which I uncovered during when I was getting coached and I keep on, I, I have my bi-weekly business coaching going on every single day because I know that I need to fix this, not fix this, but I need to work on this. Only then the impact will be much better. And, you know, then I'm not creating obstacles in the path of where I want to get to. So I uncovered, and I'm going to share, you know, I'm going to share a, a vulnerable story. So I uncovered during my business coaching that I was someone who used to, who wanted to avoid conflict, who wanted to avoid having that really difficult conversation, especially when it was with my core management group, with people who I interacted on a day-to-day -day basis. I wanted to avoid that. 
you know, there was this aspect of me which wanted to be, you know, let's just kind of scoot it away, as as you mentioned, you know, kind of brush it under the carpet. And I learned it the hard way. You, I, I, I did that. You brush uh, one thing, one thing goes wrong, someone reports about a certain person in your management team. And I didn't want to confront that person because that person was really extraordinary in other eight things which he was doing. In two things, uh, things were not going okay. I didn't want to have that conversation. I was working with my business coach. I realized that this is very internal. The business coach did, you know, what coaches do, help me uncover a lot of that, help me uncover things where I was stuck because of which I wanted to avoid all of that. That and then gradually, you know, gradually working on it, that transformed it. Hmm. And that's where the whole people versus performance bit came in because I was like, uh, I cannot be uh, mean, disrespectful to people. That's a very individual value. And my coach brought up, for me, you don't need to do that. It is not people. It is something in their performance or something in their behavior which you are calling out. And that helped. that helped so much. That just eased the pressure in my conflict management style so much. Yeah, that is lovely. I mean, we need each other. We we can help each other in the sense that we can't see everything. And I like what you said that if you want to be a leader, then you are more people see you, as you said, the, the great things and the flaws. And so they're going to shine out more if that's the position that you're looking for. So get help because we all need assistance. I also was a, a people pleaser and avoided conflict for ever so long because I thought that was kind. I thought that was respectful, but really it was cowardice on my part. I didn't want the pain. I didn't want that psychological burden. It wasn't for the other person. Mm-hmm. It, it was for me. And that was selfish. And then that also made it so I couldn't have an authentic relationship with them because there was this barrier that they didn't know about, but it was inside of me. And so all that stuffing and that, for me, all of these things made it so that that's why I avoid a conflict forever so long. And so having somebody point that out, having somebody help us, because we all, we all hopefully, like we want to leave the planet better. We should want to leave other people better. And we should also believe that we can be better every single day. And all these three, leaving the planet better, cannot happen without making the lives of people around us better. And that cannot happen until we make this one, our own self, better. So all yeah. of these, these these three things are a reflection of each other. That's right. And taking help, you know, getting a business coach has been transformational to me. There are things that I know and there are things that I don't know. And there are those things which I don't know. And I don't even know that I don't know. And that is where it is stuck. That's where unlocking that is where the magic can happen. And that's what my, you know, what my business coach, and she's great. She she helps me, uh, you know, she helps me see a lot of things. And that is transformational. I love that. It's just so true. I mean, many of us listening, and I can think for myself, yeah, I know I've got this weakness, and maybe I'll get to it because I'm working on these other things right now. We can only do what we can do. But it's those things that we don't know, right? Those things that other people see that maybe we don't see, or that that it is keeping us stuck, and, and we don't know why because we don't see it. If we saw it, then maybe we'd be able to do some sort of positive action. So we can help each other see and move forward 
if that's what if that's what's in our sights. But we have to going back to that vision, vision for the organization, vision for the planet itself, the human community, but also vision for myself. How do I want to show up in my interactions? So let's suppose that you are a part-time, you know, part-time seasonal worker. Well, a professional job versus a non-professional job is still populated by individuals, right? All of us, wherever we are in our journey, as, as in, in our work life, we get to decide how we're going to show up. And then we are presented with the organization. If we're not in charge of the organization or currently a change maker, we all know that everyone can make a positive impact on their environment. You can come into an organization that you would have to hold your nose because so many bad things are going on. And one person could act as a purifier in that in that environment. You know, you could be the tree. If we go back to the garden, you know, you, you could be that that safe haven. You could be that vision for others to say, oh, I don't have to do act that way. I don't have to roll my eyes behind this person's back. I don't have to, you know, whatever the negative behavior is, I could be like that person. And we we need that. We need those those tangible road guides so that we can see what we ought to be doing. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, I'll, I'll share with you this, this example from one of our employees. Uh, one of our employees, she's a driver. She delivers packages just like, you know, my most of my team comes in, picks up the packages, goes ahead, delivers it, comes back, signs out. And, you know, you, if you just, the way I describe the job, if you look at it, one would perceive that, you know, what change can I make? I'll share one quick story. So this person, we have we have uh, customer delivery feedback scores. So customers give us call like, hey, I like the delivery, but I didn't like something about it. And then they can go ahead and report. This person, her CDF was always, you know, shooting through the roof, like always on the top. And I was curious. It was, she was setting a totally different standard compared to the rest of the team. And I, and I asked her, I brought her in for a conversation. I asked her, hey, what do you do different? She said, no, nah, nothing. I'm, I'm just doing my job. And then when we started talking a little deeper, the only thing, one thing which she was doing different was that if she would drop a package and then if the customer was, say, you know, walking their dog or just outside, she would wave at them and say, hi, hey, how's the day going? You know, hope you have a good day, a great day. Just these basic things, just spreading that smile. This cost her nothing. That three seconds, five seconds, quick human interaction. That, you know, that human interaction made all the difference. Mm -hmm. So uh, the way we look at our job, is it is it powerful or is it power, you know, mm -hmm. powerless? It is just a perception. Mm -hmm. It is just a perception. Uh, I at times think that even, even the, you know, even even the president could at times be thinking, oh my God, I'm so powerless because, you know, it is like an international, there are 170 other countries in this negotiation. But then every single person can make a difference to what they are kind of, you know, in their space. And then you mentioned tangible, tangible parameters. That is something which is really important from the leader, from the business owner. If I don't know what you're evaluating me on, if that is in your head, what do I chase? Yeah. So the vision has to be clear. So essentially, you know, I, I have this three things, you know, the why has to be clear. If you want to 
If you want to have an organization which is transformational, the why has to be clear, which is the vision, the values. Why are we doing what we are doing? Who we are. The second is the how has to be clear. How do I do that? That involves training. We have a process where we onboard, train, and then we also do a assessment of your gaps. Like, you know, there are 10 things. You're great in eight. You're missing on these two. We'll talk to you just about those two. So training, retraining, onboarding. So that takes care of the how. And then the third dimension is, am I doing it right? Hmm. Because until you don't share it, you're like, you know, the manager is thinking in her head that, oh, uh, you know, this person is doing bad. The employee is thinking, oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> you know, there needs to be that communication. So the why, the how, and the periodic input about, am I doing it right? Yeah. You know? That is like a whole package. It takes care of it all. Oh, I love that because expectations, you're right. We we go to work and um, especially, you know, with professionals, we say just be professional. And I know what good looks like. I know what excellence look, looks like. Well, you know what it looks like to you. Mm-hmm. But it, so many times, because I'm a workplace mediator, I see this disconnect between what somebody is doing and they think they're doing a great job and what the manager thinks. And the manager's like, oh my gosh, how can this person think that? And I think, well, manager, how have you communicated these expectations? How have you really, besides, I hear, well, they've got a a, a job description. I'm like, okay, yes, but but that's not what we're talking about. What what does excellence look like? What is the concrete particulars? What have other people done? What, What kind of communication have you asked to this other person for their understanding? Because people just really have vastly many times different understandings of what this looks like given their experience their education their past jobs the past uh, how they were evaluated in other organizations and so coming together and collaborating and having this as you said continued conversation and a dialogue so that it is a back and forth and setting expectations because sometimes of course managers have unrealistic expectations given mm-hmm. the reality of being out in the in the workforce so you might have i'm sure you've encountered this i don't know so much about the distribution world but you could say okay everybody needs to deliver 200 packages well and let's suppose they had cover the same area but it's never the same area the terrain mm-hmm. is different the how many wild dogs in the area are there i mean there's just so many different factors right yeah you know, we talked about communication. One paradigm shift, which is, you know, which can be really crucial is treating our employees as customers. Mm-hmm. Just imagine, would the same manager do that if a customer called in and said, hey, you know, uh, I didn't like the, I didn't like uh, your product or your service or your order or, you know, whatever the service is. In that case, the expectation is that they would quickly jump on and try to resolve that for the customer, go above and beyond. Bringing the same paradigm when it comes to our employees is the key rather than just taking them for granted. And I, I, I think, you know, hey, they have the job description is, is lazy. It is yeah. taking for granted that, you know, rarely people look back at their job description six months after they are in, you know, job right. descriptions are, are getting people in the door. Right. And they can only say as much. They can describe the job only to 10, 15%. Yeah. You cannot describe the team. You cannot describe the team of five people I'm working with in my job description. 
you cannot describe that the if an organization went through a restructuring and my team mm -hmm. of five was cut to three people, how can you describe all of that in the job description? Yeah, that's not treating the employee as customer. That's plain lazy. Right. Absolutely. And we want these, if we want these healthy environments, then we need this continual kind of dialogue so that we don't check in once a year or every, or even just every six months. That is a continue. If something comes up in your yearly evaluation and it's the only evaluation you've had, it's, that's a very bad practice, right? And it isn't treating people with respect, but rather as soon as there's a problem, as soon as there's excellence, we talk and we notice and we help people to to be going towards that mission. And if they have a, a gap in performance or behavior skill, let's just shore it up right now and move forward because we're for each other, right? We're ultimately for each other. I want to backtrack just a moment to that absolutely beautiful example you gave of your employee who acted full of power, right? That, that interaction, as you said, cost her nothing. And I would say, brought her so much, right? When we think about our jobs as drudgery or I hate my job and we tell ourselves this kind of narrative, this is meaningless, this is doing nothing, then that's the kind of experience we're going to have. And anyone mm -hmm. we come in contact with, whether it's the consumer or the people we work with, that's going to be their experience of us. But if we say, I get to serve this person ice cream, and this is a treat for them. And I get to interact with them. And this is an occasion for them. Or I get to do this. Or I get to do this. And and thinking about our, our own power as we are people in the world and titles really are pretty much irrelevant when it comes to human connection. And I can choose just to reach out and notice people. And that means I have better job satisfaction. That's It's good for me. We don't have to do it for selfish reasons, but reciprocal altruism is me and you together. It's not one or the other. And I think it's the same thing with sustainability. I think sometimes people think it's us or the planet. It's like the humans are in a war with the planet. Well, no, it's us together, right? Yeah. Saving, you know, doing good things for the environment because because beauty ought to be preserved for the sake of the beautiful. And, but also for the sake of we're going to inhabit it, right? And so it's this finding this, um, this way in which we work together for mutual benefit and flourishing. I'll share a quick example. Um, so again, delivery business, safety is really important for us because people are driving vehicles and they're, these are, they are driving relatively bigger vehicles than the cars, which they would usually drive. And they are going out in in neighborhoods where kids could be playing, where you know people could be just strolling in their evening, all of that. So we hated it, but despite that, we used to be having a lot of incidents. Uh, we we still do occasionally. There was a very empowering conversation which I did with my team once, and it just happened. You know, it just came out of it just came out very naturally. I uh, we were doing this morning huddle with the entire team, and I shared with them. Now, I told them, think of one person who you love the most in this world, who you care about the most in this world. That could be your partner, your kid, or anyone. You know, Imagine that that person is sitting on the passenger seat. Would you still drive the same way? Drive just the way you're driving with that person sitting, assuming that you know your kid or you know whoever is your loved one is sitting on the passenger seat. 
you know, that conversation uh, was transformational. Many of my employees came to me and they said, you know what, uh, we, we never thought about it that way. But that is what it is. And you you said a beautiful example, you know, someone like, oh, I'm, I'm working in an ice cream shop and I hate my job. Or I am spreading smiles by serving people. You know, ice cream is a treat. It's a, it's a reflection of joy, a reflection of love. When my daughter is very happy, she's like, dad, 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 I want to go get ice cream. You know, it's, it's a reflection of that rather than just, you know, I'm, I'm selling ice creams in a, in an hourly, say, you know, job that just changes the whole thing. All of us have heard that story of the janitor who met President Kennedy when he was visiting NASA, you know, and then he said, you know, we've heard that story when the president asked him, what do you do here? He said, I'm, I'm helping for the first man on the moon. You know, that con- that's very internal. Yeah. And just this, I think this whole point when it comes to what can I do or who who am I? The job doesn't make you happy. There are plenty of CEOs, plenty of people with all the money and power in the world who are miserable and plenty of people who, quote unquote, maybe look poor, who are happy because they're very fulfilled. Fulfillment comes from the inside, right? And that's why this internal reflection about your core values, who you want to be, how you want to interact with others, independent of what somebody else is doing or what a community is doing, how are you going to show up? How are you going to choose to think about the impact you're going to have? Because that's intentional. Being intentional. So I taught philosophy for for a very long time. And Aristotle is one of my favorite philosophers. And he says, the good life is the active life. And it's the activity and virtue together. That means being invested, being engaged, and seeing yourself as making a set of choices. Because we are, whether we recognize it or not, instead of being passive and everything is happening to me and the world is happening to me. No, you're happening to it. And that is a mind shift that that we can shift and never shift a job, never shift a relationship. I mean, move out of it, but we shift and everything else shifts around us. You know, I want to share two quick quotes here. One of them is, you know, someone shared this with me and it was empowering for me says things don't happen to you they happen for you mm-hmm. and you know that that just that just changed the whole perspective you know rather than oh my god this happened oh my god this happened they're happening for me for my growth and evolution i i could be religious i could not i could be a believer i could not but then you know it is happening for my sake and then you another quote comes to mind about something which you shared quite a few times here You know, this quote is from a spiritual guy again. He says, all of us are walking each other home. Mm. All of us are walking each other home. And this is just so transformational. You know, I shared this uh, with my team so very often because, you know, my, my, my team is like my family. If I... If I, if my book hit, when my book hit the international bestseller, I, I went ahead and shared the joy with them. When we are frustrated because a certain vehicle met with an accident, we go ahead and share like the frustration with them as well. I, you know, so. I love that. I mean, it's so easy to not think about that. It's so easy to think it's me, it's my family, it's these, and how I affect other people in the world it is, it, it, I don't. But I do think that we are people on the way and that we, our job is to help somebody get to 
gets to the next place. And if you are a secularist, wherever that means in this world, if you believe in the next world, you know, that that's our job. And if you think from an eternal perspective or something like that, something grander than yourself, this becomes a responsibility. And if we see it as a responsibility, that can imbue, again, back to meaning and belonging in a very different way in a, and takes out the selfishness that so easily creeps in. And instead of, if we want to be beings for others, then of course we have to take care of ourselves. but it isn't just ourselves. And I think that's really beautiful. We're helping each other on that journey. So gosh, we've talked about a lot of things. I want to get, uh, last question I have for you is when you think about the future of work and when your daughter is out in the workforce, what do you hope happens now and maybe 15 years or less when she's in the workforce that has happened to the world of work such that not only are people treated with dignity and respect, but they're encouraged to thrive and flourish? that's, That's a powerful question. Maybe in one sentence, I can answer that. When organizations and individuals and even governments, the vision is that we work from, we work for the vision of making this world a better place for all of us, for our future generations. Better place today, better place tomorrow. I think all of us can make a dent in that even individually, all of us together as as organizations, as groups, that's where we can cause that transformation, making this world a better place. That will lead to human values. That will lead to respect. That will lead to everything else. That will lead to we caring for our planet ecologically as well. I love that. That's very simple, but powerful because we can unpack that in our individual lives and in our small communities and as we expand that circle of of, uh, the human community. Well, Kumar, thank you so much for being on Conflict Manager. It's an absolute joy to talk with you today. Thank you, Mary. It was great. We, We talked about so much. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Kumar, thank you so much for being on Conflict Managed. What an absolute joy to talk with you today. I really appreciate imagining how me as a very small business can put sustainability to work and how very important it is to weave that into the four P's of people, planet, purpose, and profit. Thank you for listening to Conflict Managed. We have new episodes every Tuesday, so come on back. Conflict Managed is produced by third-party workplace conflict restoration services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. If you haven't had a chance to look at my new book, How to Be Unprofessional at Work, Tips to Ensure Failure, it's available on Amazon. It's 80 tips of what not to do at work with suggestions of how do we move forward to have healthy work environments. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.